If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hey, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. I'm going to quickly try to find my costume ideas that I totally forgot about. I have, I have like four, but five, but I'm saving them for. Seriously, this is like an SOS for some console to come help me. (laughs) 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 I need help in so many areas. I'm so unorganized. <laughs> I'm falling behind. You're the one who had this shit together I last know. week. I was like, I didn't do this. Do da. Do da. Fuck. You know what's going to help? Hmm. This uh, lemon rosemary bourbon sour. <laughs> oh my God. Rosemary is so, the best herb. Rosemary is the best. It's the queen of all herbs. It is the queen of all herbs. It is Legal cleansing. Herbs. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> It's the prude sister of Mary Joanna. Uh, let's see. And the prude sister. <laughs> <laughs> but she does. She's just like, she like clears the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just invigorates. It's just, I don't know. It's just so good. And she then goes well with turkey. She goes well with everything, man. She really does. She goes well with bourbon. She definitely goes well with bourbon oh and lemon. God. And I love me a whiskey sour, so this is amazing. <laughs> In fact, I'm almost done, which is kind of scary because I can go Ooh, through some whiskey shit. There's a, There's two more in the fridge yes. waiting for us. I'm like, Ooh. We don't have our dearest bartender, Courtney, again no. today. She's super sad about that. But... Um, We'll get her back soon. She'll yes. be with us at the Goat House. Yeah. So buy tickets to the Goat House. Yes. Um, We've I, done a re- excuse me. I have done a really shitty job of trying to shut up. <laughs> she is not. No one has. I. The only thing that we've forgotten was to create the event page on Facebook. There's an Eventbrite. We've been talking about it every week. You it's guys are probably sick to death of bright. hearing us pitch it. Um, right. It's only because we didn't have it anywhere on the web. Yeah. And now it is on our website, which we said it's on our website, and it wasn't, but now it is. Mm-hmm. So there's a link. There's probably only about 10 tickets left. Yep. So seriously, um Get your tickets. Go to the event page because we have a couple of after show little fun things that we're yeah. thinking about doing and planning. Um, mm. They're, yeah. They're, so anyway, I won't bore you with that right now, but we'll put them out on the event page because there are a couple little fun things. And if you have a hard time finding a place to stay, we can post some links. I don't know whether all the Airbnbs we normally look at are full or not, but we'll share some of those with you on the right. event page. So. All right. And to do, 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 do so many fun things to do that we're excited. And like I was telling Marleya earlier, my costume is supposed to arrive today. And I hope to God it's going to fit my boobs. <laughs> That's all I got to say, it, which segues into why we kind of started this costume listing of things that Mm -hmm. we could go as because being a plus size woman it is really hard to find a like you have like I'm gonna be this and unless you like freaking make your own costumes which I was planning on doing but 
I can't, I don't even have time to post events on things, <laughs> right? Um, or even like get podcasts out on them. Uh, it's just like, it's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, hence it's, the cry for help. There's too much shit going on. So too yes, much. you totally have to go with like, pre- you know, luckily though, I will tell you, while this person is also busy, we do know a couple of costumers who might be able to help us out if our things don't quite work. True. So we can probably strong arm them into uh, a right. little bit of assistance. I can always be. go as my original bag of rocks that's true or you know if your boobs don't fit in your costume you can just cut some holes and like just (laughs) for the theme that i'm going as that would be interesting in and of itself i cannot wait to know what this is you've been talking about it forever you're gonna get we're gonna see it you're gonna go oh yeah that makes sense it's not gonna be a huge like ta-da moment it's gonna be like oh yeah Yeah. so don't i don't want to like drive your hopes up are you um are you researching your your top three costume ideas of the week i have my list that we began check you out so um top and there aren't they they're not that good (laughs) oh my god i'm gonna try to just ad lib from here okay so by the time you get this you need to start sending love to patrice on the socials (laughs) yeah she's gonna be batshit crazy (laughs) and that starts my first costume (laughs) batshit otherwise guano guano. (laughs) that's amazing costume number one i am oh my god you should run over I'm batshit crazy. Um, that's awesome. My first one was a tea bag, which at first I was like, oh, this would fit me, and it can't be made sexy. And then I was like, well, I guess in one context. <laughs> but, <laughs> whether that's actually sexy but or not. But I was going to say, you know, is that I, really I don't know sexy? that that's sexy, actually. That's kind of hairy Jesus. <laughs> yes, and we went straight there. Your turn. <laughs> okay. Um, oh my God. <laughs> we went straight to Balzac right, right at the beginning of the show. Uh, box fan. Mm. That's kind of a given, right? That's right. Uh, you know what? We sat there and, like, you said that, and mm-hmm. I completely forgot you'd said it. Box fan is perfect. Oh, yeah. It's I'm perfect. Totally, I'm totally, like, rifting off our list that yeah. we first did. Well, my second one, <laughs> which I found out. I realized uh, by, you know, going through the fan page this week that this would make me absolutely the most popular person in the room. A tub of buttercream frosting. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. And you could have, like, one of those things, like, they used to have, where, like, the little cigarette girls had, like, the little shelf around. <laughs> yes! And it'd just be little tubs of buttercream that you would hand out. I would totally help you with that. I costume. feel like, you know, that's not even limited to Halloween. I feel like no. you could go to any party with any that. Any event setup. would be like. And I mean, it's just, it's it's appropriate for everything. Well, it's the it's best like, way to dress. Yes. Covered in buttercream frosting. And you know, we may could get a small sponsorship from like Duncan Mad Hatters. Hines. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Hatters doesn't, I mean, no, Duncan, Duncan Hines doesn't do good buttercream. <laughs> Mad Hatters, on the oh, other they hand, do. because they sell those little bitty tubs of just frosting. Those are called eat. frosting shots. And yes. 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 Those are amazing. Frosting shots. Frosting shots. Yes. Okay. So, well, shit. If you're going to go as <laughs> buttercream, 
you have to have salty with the sweet. That's true. I'm going to go as a barrel of cheese puffs. Yeah. And I totally took that from you. I love that one. (laughs) Good, because I forgot that I ever said it. So, yes. A barrel of cheese puffs. A barrel of cheese puffs. Love, love. And they come in like the barrel barrels that like the yeah. plastic is molded like a barrel like right, <laughs> right. The best. i i i wrote down um i wrote down a couple more i need to i need to keep a list of these because i'm not using them all right now okay i thought of um i'm gonna go as like a mandala coloring sheet <laughs> now admittedly a pretty bumpy one yeah but like I could just like lean up against the wall or lay on the ground and people could just come and maybe you're like what is it, a, a top a topographic map. So oh yes. It's not you know, so you're actually That's like pretty good. Doing, yeah. The You could be Mount Chiha. I could be <laughs> You just lay on your you side. You totally could. And then just I like, could be Mount Oh, I don't have to lay on my side to be Mount Chiha. I could totally <laughs> lay on my back and be Mount Chiha. <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, horse block not ashamed <laughs> um yeah you know i actually know an artist who um creates fictional maps that he draws on people's bodies with paint pens and takes photos of them and sells the photos and wow. it's fascinating it and fascinating. really cool but he creates like topographical and street level maps of imaginary cities that he makes up and then people come in and model for him and he draws them on the people so that they represent like the topography. Oh, wow. And then he photographs it and sells the photos. That's amazing. At first, I, just, I thought you were going to say, and he comes in with buttercream icing. Oh, my God. And he paints there was their bodies. You know what? <laughs> I'm not going to say that's not going to happen at my house. <laughs> that's, that is that is an exercise worth pursuing. You hear that, Randy? <laughs> All right. Oh, good stuff. Yes. Mm. Oh, I have a correction from mm. um, last week, drunk mm. as I probably was, that um, I continually said the uh, you should listen to the Every Little Bit podcast. Right. <laughs> well, if you looked for that, you didn't find it because there's no such thing. I was talking about the Every Little Thing podcast. Oh, okay. Um, and that was the one that had the um, Kentucky Goblins episode. Right. So, yes, I apologize to them. But, yes, it's still a cool podcast. Oh, so, and it's I have Every Little Thing. an apology, too. I am so sorry for how fucking long that last oh. podcast was. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened to it. Yet. I I do not blame you one bit if you have given up on our podcast after that episode. Oh my god! Stop! I was so fucking long. <laughs> my it was like almost two hours, and it was basically all me sitting there just going, "Who fucking killed these women?" and going through every scenario. And but it's a complicated story. It is so complicated. And it's so, it's so, I mean, it's unsolved and it's, yeah. And everybody's knows everybody. It's just so, yeah. So basically that was me all last time just going, yes, I just, I can't even wrap my hand around this. I Y'all need can't. to send Patrice some love this week. <laughs> send Patrice some love. So if you stopped it, you know, it's okay. Because there's really <laughs> no more information other than they were killed and then it stopped. Well, it was fascinating to me. I went and fucking bought the book while you were talking. <laughs> I was like, I was on Amazon while you were telling your story. Well, that was, yeah, that was like the first five minutes, but like <laughs> 45 minutes later, I don't think I really added anything to it. Sorry. Oh, stop. I'm I'm having batshit crazy week, obviously. Guano week. Guano week. <laughs> I will get my costume now. 
<laughs> well, I had um, I had one other thing I had forgotten to share. Oh, okay, cool. I can go ahead and share it real quick Do now. Do it. Um, my friend Cody, after I did the episode about the Wampus Cat. Yes. So, like... It was kind of late one evening, which it that may mean like 745. I don't know. Or 8 foot. Anytime after my children go to bed at this point is now late right. in my mind. But after dark. He and I haven't texted back and forth very much. And we would share poetry and stuff like that for each other to read and everything. But we haven't talked a whole lot. And he's moved to Texas and everything like that. And so, like, he just randomly texted me this night. And he was like, I was listening to your show. And I've never told anybody about this experience that I had, but I'm convinced after listening to what you said that I saw a wampus cat. Um, so I am going to, <clears throat> I'm going to pull this up. Yeah. Um, do, 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 I apologize. No, don't apologize. Here we go. Here we go. You're good. My story short. Yes. It starts all caps. I have seen a wampus cat for real. And I wrote back, you have not. And he wrote back, Marleya, yes, I fucking have. <laughs> so a wampus cat is like the cat woman. Cat. Yes, it was because it was from the description that I gave. The wampus cat, uh, the lady talked about it in North Carolina. It was a Reddit like post that mm -hmm. a woman had talked about that it had followed her family around. Oh, yeah. And it was right. and she described like, like a muscular ape like body with a panther's head. Right. Basically. Right. Um. And so, and I, I tried to share a couple pictures. I don't know if they came through, but so Cody says, um, this is, this happened when he lived on a farmhouse in Wellington, Alabama, which is not far from where we are here. Uh, right. it's, it's a rural area, you know, lots of woods, lots of farm country. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, let's see, he was walking their dog and something stepped out from behind a tree about 50 yards down the path that one of my dad's hunting buddies had cut out to lead to his deer blind, is what Cody said. Um, it hissed at us. Shit. And he said, I bolted my happy ass back inside. I guess so. Um, and the dog peed inside that night because he would not take her back out. Oh, wow. He said it was on two legs and it looked like a mountain lion, but it was like Greek statue buff and ripped. Holy shit. And I don't remember you reading this to me. I remember you telling me that Cody wrote something in, but I don't remember hearing this. Yeah. I don't think I did. Cause I intended to say it on the next show. And mm -hmm. I, he actually just messaged me this week and was like, I never heard your story. <laughs> my, my story on your show. And I was like, shit, I completely forgot. Um, which is amazing. Cause I was like floored by this. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was okay. So buff, Greek statue, like two ripped, two-legged, hissing lion. mountain lion-looking thing. Holy fuck. He said it looked like a two-leg walking mountain lion that was jacked with big, long arms like a gorilla, and it mm. bared its teeth and hissed like a cat. Holy fuck. And um, he wouldn't he wouldn't tell his girlfriend oh, what no. was outside because he didn't want her just to don't go freak outside. out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, that, and, you know, they moved away after... Like, not because of that, but, right. you know, they, they weren't there permanently anyway. So he, you know, he moved away. But yeah, so that was kind of creepy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. That's like just down the road from where I live, no. too. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Oh um, yeah, so that's fun. Mm, yeah. Good story. Holy shit. Thanks, Cody. Don't have chills right now. I know. Me Ugh. too. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I think that's that's the end of our front of show stuff. Mm -hmm. You got anything else? I do not. Okay. So You're I, first. I am first, and I want to thank Dakota 
our friend from <gasps> Java Jolt. Did she give you a story? She gave me a story. She just like texted me this week and was like, hey, have you heard of the, the St. Augustine Lighthouse? Hmm. Have you heard about this? Mm-mm. I hadn't either. I okay. was like, no. And she sent me a link. I was like, hmm. It's like, this looks like it could be kind of short to make up for last time. Uh-huh. But it's still interesting. St. Augustine, like Stop. Florida? Yeah, St. Augustine. Sorry. Um, St. Augustine is a city in the southeast uh, United States, Atlantic Coast, northeastern Florida. Mm-hmm. It's like 40 miles south of Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of up top. On the right, if you're looking at the map of Florida. (laughs) It is the oldest, and I didn't know this. This is kind of like, I have a lot of history going on with this, and this makes this place so really unique. It's because St. Augustine, unbeknownst to me, is the oldest continuous inhabited European established settlement within the continental U.S. Oh. Which means it has been around for over 450 years. Wow. It was established before Plymouth Rock. It was established before Jamestown and before Roanoke. So it is like older than any of the old settlements that we think are like the first settlements. Holy shit. Here. I didn't know that. Yeah. So actually in uh, 2020, it will be 155 years old when they'll be celebrating. 155? I mean, sorry, 455. Oh, yeah. That makes more sense. Way more sense. (laughs) That shit crazy. <laughs> All right. So it was founded in 1565 by the Spanish explorers on the feast day of St. Augustine. Oh, okay. So that's why it was uh, named St. Augustine. Uh, and then the Spanish uh, defended the settlement because the British wanted it. Actually, the British pirate Sir Francis Drake wanted it around 1586. Wait, and Sir it- Francis Drake the pirate? Yeah. Wait, is that the name of the guy who wrote the the the... The fucking uh, stars and stripes and shit. No, uh, I'm making that up, right? I, I don't know. I, okay, go ahead. That's all right. We, I'm we looking can include, it up. Yeah, we can include that later on in post show notes or something. Um, so they defeat the Spanish defended against the British, and then like maybe fifty years, seventy five years, two hundred years. I don't know. Later, the British came back during Queen Anne's War of seventeen o two, and um, wanted it and. The Spanish defended it again, and then the Brits came back uh, in 1740, and about that little after that time, the Spanish were like, fuck it, here you go, and they handed it over to the Brits in 1763. And the only reason I mention this is just, it's, it's very interesting, because it's like, the Spanish discovered it, they claimed it, they settled it, the Brits came knocking, the Spanish mm-hmm. were like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope, and then, and then we're like, Okay. And then they hand it over to the Brits, but then 20 years later, Spain takes it back. So it's just, yeah, it was a weird back and forth. And that is until um, 1819 when Spain uh, succeeded Florida and all of it to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we won the Revolutionary War. Spain was like, here's Florida. I'm sure we paid for it somehow. I don't know. Not a history person Mm -hmm. in that way. All right. So, however, in 1824, um, they constructed their first lighthouse. And this was the first lighthouse in Florida at the time. Not saying that there there wasn't, like, light 
towers or things, beacons to help guide ships Mm -hmm. to shore and stuff. But this was like the first permanent structure that wasn't made of wood. Oh. Um, so, so since like 1565, there's been something there guiding ships and, and everything. But this was like the first big, huge ass lighthouse. <laughs> and of course, they built it. And like 50 years later, it began to, the place they built it was in a really good spot. And it began to erode. And they noticed, they, they figured, well, it's probably just going to fall off into the sea. So we need to fix that. Mm-hmm. So they came um, before it like eroded into the sea uh, in 1871, they started construction of a new lighthouse. And um, this was during Florida's reconstruction period right after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So they built this. It took them like three years to build this new lighthouse. And the new tower was completed in 1874. And it used something called uh, Fresnel Lights, which is really interesting because it's like 370 handmade prisms. Oh, my God. And these lenses that they are using are like nine feet tall. So this was like this new technology at the time um, for creating this, you know, lens, this lamp to guide the ships in. And so that's so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, that After they got finished building it in 74, 1874, um, in 1880, the old lighthouse, like, literally, like, collapsed into the sea. Mm. And it's still there. In the sea? In the sea. In the ocean, Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Um, so, first keeper of this lighthouse was William Russell. And he was the only one that had, like, kept both uh, lighthouses. And back in the day, it was it was a full-time job to, like, upkeep the lighthouses and usually they had like they would bring their families and they'd live there at the lighthouse. Okay, I, was, I thought I'd seen that the on whole time Disney specials or something. People <laughs> who lived at the lighthouse. More you know. Mm. Okay, so um, he was there, and and this the um, Augustine Lighthouse, Saint Augustine Lighthouse, had like tons of keepers over the years. So William Russell was the first, and then um, after him. And I don't know if there's anybody that came in between because I really didn't get a list of who was who here. But there was a guy named William Harn who kept the site for 20 years. He was actually um, a Union war hero who commanded um, his own battery at the Battle of Gettysburg. And he lived there with his wife, um, Kate from Maine, and their six daughters. And basically set up... um, you know, living quarters, they uh, served lemonade off the porches. They constructed this Victorian duplex. Um, Those next... two words don't usually go together in my head. No, Victorian right? duplex. Victorian duplex, yeah, uh, where they lived there and, and had their family. So he, you know, added on to the lighthouse and maintained it. And then in 1886, a Charleston earthquake caused the tower to sway violently um, but nothing was damaged. So I'm really just kind of going through the history right now of the lighthouse before we get to the good stuff. Because <laughs> to me, even just the history is so interesting in and of itself. So during World War II, uh, the Coast Guard men and women who trained in St. Augustine used the lighthouse to look out for enemy ships and submarines, which frequented the coast. Mm. So, you know, we were actually having, you know, 
that quote unquote enemy come in and like kind of submarine past us. And that's what they did. They, you know, kept guard, kept watch out. And then by 1955, everything was electronic. They all had plumbing, you know, in there. And they didn't really need to have a full-time keeper because it, mm. it became automated. And so by the 1960s, there were no lighthouse families and things started like you don't have people living in a structure. It starts to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And by the 1970s, it was declared surplus. So I didn't understand at first what declared surplus was. So let me tell you what it means because <laughs> I looked the shit up. So de declaring something surplus is when the U.S. government has property that they are no longer using or have abandoned, but they still own it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when something is declared surplus, they might put it up for sale. Mm -hmm. And so the county at the time bought it from the U.S. <laughs> government in the 70s. And then, of course, um, like right after they bought it, the Victorian house that was attached um, or wasn't, I don't, it wasn't attached, but that was on the property of the lighthouse uh, suffered a really bad fire at the hands of an unknown arsonist. Okay. So somebody tried to like burn, you know, the family living quarters down, which oh. was abandoned. So I, I don't know what that was for. However, 10 years later in 1980, and this is where it gets kind of cool. A group of 15, I mean, it was always cool. Mm -hmm. Um, a group of 15 women who were the junior service league of St. Augustine, um, Augustine, Augustine, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, signed a 99 year lease for the keeper's house and the grounds, um, intending to do a massive restoration project. And then later, like a few years later, they signed a 30 year lease with the coast guard to restore the lighthouse. So they came in, they're like, just leave it to us. We're going to take care of this. So, of course, they put it on the National Register of Historic Places. They fixed the place up. They maintained the original uh, freshness lens that was still functional. Oh, cool. And, however, you know, while they're doing all this restoration, some dumbass in 86, 1986, like, came and shot at it with a rifle. And it destroyed 19 of the prisms. Oh, my God. Why the fuck? I don't know. I'm going to shoot at this. I don't know. It's like glass break. <laughs> um, and so after it was shot and, and damaged, the Coast Guard wanted to replace it with like an airport beacon, you know, the mm -hmm. thing that goes around. But the ladies were like, step the fuck back. <laughs> this is historic property. We'll get it fixed. And they ended up fixing um, the nine foot tall lenses that were destroyed wow. and replaced. How much them. money did these people have? I do not know. Um, so today, the lighthouse station consists of the 165-foot tower that was built in 1874, the 1876 keeper's house, two summer kitchens that were built in 1886, and um, then a garage that was built in 1936, which during World War II, uh, Jeep repair, it became a Jeep repair facility. So obviously it's big enough for a fucking Jeep repair facility. <laughs> and then in 1941, U.S. Coast Guard barracks. And today it is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration weather station. So oh. it's like all of these things or was all of these things. And now it's serving as like, you know, weather station. 
and all of this other stuff. And it's a museum and it's on the national registry. And so it's, it's basically a nonprofit now, you know, just tourism and history. However, it's also known for its history of paranormal activity and, uh, kind of the legends that go along with it mm-hmm. that have to do with some of the things I've already touched on. So many keepers and their families have definitely lived there and worked in the lighthouse. And as things happen, you know, some of these things have been tragic and they attribute some of the hauntings of the lighthouse with some of this tragedy. The first thing, and it, this wasn't so much a tragedy, but uh, Peter Rasmussen, who was one of the first keepers, uh, was known to be a very meticulous keeper of the lighthouse, and he also was known to love cigars. So the the staff that works there at the lighthouse um, <clears throat> says that you can smell cigar smoke at certain times, hmm. and they believe that you know he his it's believed that he's like the first ghost that the people started to notice as they stayed there at the lighthouse hmm. because they would catch a whiff of cigar smoke and whatnot. There's also said to be a man in a blue shirt that has been seen in the basement of the family house. And it's said that either a keeper or an assistant actually hung themselves there in the basement. Mm. So they're thinking that this may be um, the ghost of that or the energy of that keeper or the assistant that hung themselves there. Also, and, and I don't know if that person... I was a little confused reading some of this. It was actually Peter Rasmussen, the the cigar smoker. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. All I know is that, because I watched a couple of things, and obviously I didn't take very good notes, but (laughs) I feel like the person in the basement was very grumpy. Mm. And he hated tourists and he wanted them to get the fuck out kind of deal. (laughs) So that's kind of like the general vibe that you get in the basement. But people have seen the man in the blue shirt, like out of the corner of their eyes. They're in the basement. Mm. Creepy. Basements are fucking creepy. Yeah, I was going to say that's a hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, another keeper, Joseph Andrew, uh, died over a century ago because he fell to his death, 60 feet to his death, when he was painting the outside of the lighthouse. Like his scaffolding broke. And the newspaper went into like this very like descriptive, um, uh, descriptive, uh, I'm gonna say description. That's yeah. so fucking stupid. What am I trying to say? It went an elaborate description, mm-hmm. went to a very elaborate description describing how he fell down. Like they're like, he didn't he bounced off. This oh my God. Ew. And then he like rolled off the thing and basically, but you know how Ooh. if you read papers back in the day, yeah. everything's very eloquent. Mm-hmm. And so, but also be- pretty damn dramatic and sometimes. Very yes. fucking, well, eloquent, dramatically eloquent. Yes. And very poetic, very like, you know. And and so the word, <laughs> and this made me giggle, precipitated, precip- <laughs> like precipitate, like he rained down on, you know, the rocks. Oh kinda, my basically, God. Is how they described it. Ew. Yeah. Ew. But I was like, that's just a different way of saying it, isn't it? That's <clears throat> so like, you know, like, he died. <laughs> you know Cody got bit Cody got bit <laughs> um so after he died his wife Maria who was American- who I bet told him not to get up on that oh scaffolding. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure she was just like you know 
you need to make sure you wear your safety goggles uh-huh. and your safety belt. And, you know, maybe not today because, <laughs> you know, the wind's blowing, blah, blah. I'm, yeah, I bet she was <laughs> gave him a what for. But that's okay because she took his job oh. after he died and became the first f- official female lifehouse keeper in 1859. Oh. And she was also the first American Hispanic woman to control a federal shore installation. Well done. Yes. So she fucking took it all over and ran it very well up until the Civil War. Um, So people say that you can see her in a white dress with her long hair at the top of the lighthouse some nights and that you can also see um, Joseph up there with her. Mm. And there is a, there's a door that has a padlock on it. And there's also on that door, there's like a, um, alarm. So if the door opens, it sets off alarm and the alarm company gets notified. And they say that they'll go out there and they'll make sure the door's closed and the padlock's, you know, locked. And they'll leave for them. The staff will leave for the night. And the staff have come back on multiple occasions for with the padlock being completely undone mm. and the door open. And no alarm has been set off to alert the um, alarm company. Mm. And it's happened several times. And, like, the alarm company is, like, has no idea how the door can be opening without... It notifying them so hmm. just like weird shit like that happens you know i just had a thought like the female female ghosts are always seen in like flowing white dresses and like i just in my head i picture the most realistic ghost like of this woman being in breeches or some shit mm-hmm. like at the top with messed up fucking hair right. fighting with her husband ghost well maybe like, it's just, joseph in the dress yeah you, know? you never know could be yeah, I know. And be like, don't unlock that door, Joseph. And he's like, quit. <laughs> it's like, I told you not she to go. Tosses up him off the balcony. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> told you not to go on the scaffold. Told you not to unlock the door. <laughs> You're about to precipitate again. You're about to precipitate all over the shore. Okay. So that was like the first like major death disaster related to um, the lighthouse. The most well-known legend of this lighthouse was in the um, late 1800s. There was a renovation going on. Somebody, they hired somebody to come in and renovate the lighthouse and, and keep it up. And so there was a bunch of workers around it. And one of the workers was uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Hmm. Hezekiah. Hezekiah, thank you. you. Hezekiah Ah. Pity, uh, who had uh, five children, and they were in a cart playing um, with one of the workers' children as well. And the cart, like, had the material that they were, like, you know, using to help renovate the lighthouse. And the cart, of course, with five children playing around in it, or six children playing around in it, broke loose and then headed towards the um, cliff. Oh, shit. And everybody was able to get out of it except two of um, Hezekiah's daughters. (gasps) Oh, no. And from what I've read, uh, it hit a gate and it launched over and flipped over and ended up in the water upside down, the heavy cart upside down on the two girls oh. that weren't able to, or three girls, I'm sorry, there were three girls. It's just two were Hezekiah's and the other one was one of the workers' daughters. And um, the they couldn't get 
them out in time before they drowned. Oh, that's so awful. They ended up, yeah, in the water with an upside down card on top of them, which, yeah, is really horrible. And so because of that, people claim to hear children laughing, girls laughing in the wooded area around the lighthouse. Mm. And they also claim to see a girl in a blue dress. Blue is the color, I mm-hmm. guess. In a blue dress um, floating around the grounds um, near where she died. So other activities uh, that have been witnessed there at the lighthouse is moving furniture. Uh, things in the gift shop move. Sometimes they disappear and then they'll come back in different locations. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's just called shoplifting. I know, I know right? <laughs> I, that's what I was reading. I was like, yeah, somebody's pulling the wool over your eyes. But that could also be like somebody fucking around and yeah. like moving the thing. And then it's like, oh, that <laughs> But also music boxes playing by themselves. Oh, no, that is creepy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. In the house, uh, they also see a tall man appearing and then disappearing. Mm-hmm. Some One of the um, staff had seen a hand coming through a door. Ooh, that is creepy. And then uh, one of the, like, history gods uh, has felt like a few of his arm hairs being plucked while he was in the basement. And then recently he said that he had his ankle grabbed while he was given a tour. And he's like, and it was, it was pretty recent. And he was really like, it was really crazy because it was in the middle of the tour. And he said, it looked like I was just tripping over random air when he was walking. So this place is haunted enough. It has so much history and legends behind the ghost and, and the hauntings that um, sci-fi, of course, Ghost Hunters did a show, an episode on it, like back in like 2005. And however, recently they did, they went back there, said that this is like the second time they went back because there's um, the people who work there said that there's been like an increased activity hmm. going on there at the lighthouse. So this episode just came out last month Mm. it's like episode three of the most recent series from ghost hunters and um they called this uh site the mona lisa of paranormal sites because it's just a classic you know the place is like really old for you know america settlements it's it's like really old the mona lisa it's got like mona lisa it's a little mysterious smile it is a little corner so there's actually a video of a shadowy figure on the stairs that you can watch because i watched that episode of ghost hunters Mm. yesterday and you can see it kind of like leans over and you can't there's no just there's it's weird. Mm. It's like you can't, there's nothing distinguishable, like other than it looks like it could possibly be something leaning over and then it disappears. It leans back and disappears at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's really kind of creepy. Um, it's, you know, of course, it's so popular as a tourist attraction. And of course, adding the ghost and legends element just like ups the ante on yeah. that. So there's no less than like eight ghost tours <laughs> that comes through there in this, you know, in this area. However, you know, the people who who manage the lighthouse they don't want their tour to be gimmicky. They don't want the people dressed up in hoop skirts and going, I'm going to clap, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. But they don't want to be hokey. They really, you know, they don't want to have a jump effect. They don't want to have people, like, jumping out at them, like, trying to give them a scare just to get their money's worth or what they feel. They're really trying to push the history. So everything that 
they tell them about, it largely revolves around the history of the place. And they mm-hmm. will talk about the ghost, but it's in a historical reference. So um, There's a bunch of disappointed 13-year-old girls going is, on that tour. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? We didn't pay for history. We didn't pay for history. So I definitely want to put this on our list of places to visit. Because I think if you look at the lighthouse, first of all, they're visually, like, beautiful. Like, it's this big black and white, you know, graphical element, like, in your horizon line. And um, it's, like, if you're scared of heights, you're kind of, yeah, you're kind (laughs) of, it's just everything, it's like, it's just stairs. It's just like these stairs going all the way up, you know, to the very top. And it's crazy. And and in that episode um, that I watched yesterday, they have these things. Fuck, I wrote down what they were called. Um, but they're like little, they look like little she who must not be names in here. <laughs> she knows I'm talking about her. I know she does. Um, she made noise a little earlier. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Amazon thing that talks back to me all the time has an attitude. <laughs> it's a little round thing, and it's a motion sensor. And when something gets close to it, it'll ding. Mm-hmm. And so they put these on the different levels of the lighthouse. And, of course, they turned all the lights off to make it extra fucking spooky. <laughs> and um, they started talking to the entity or ghost or whoever was there. And the sensors started going off, like, at the top. And then at the bottom, while they were on the middle, mm. yeah, it was it was really creepy. Oh, yeah, and they went down to the basement and they tried to talk. And then they had like a group going out to the woods because there was an increased hearing of that laughter of the little girls out into like the wooded area around the lighthouse. And it's so funny because they sent like their biggest dudes out there, and so they're sitting there and they're talking. And they're like, "Yeah, we got children too. I know y'all want to play, kind of deal." <laughs> they hear something and they get up. And they kind of huddled together a little bit. And they were like, shh, be quiet. And they're like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't say that. But that's what they wanted to say. And something, they had like the heat sensor so that they can see anything. And it's really weird because it did get really quiet. Like all the birds and stuff got really quiet. And they heard something. And they were like, that is fucking huge. And the guy was like, Sasquatch, there's a fucking Bigfoot in here. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Anyway, <laughs> it was amusing. Um, so I, they, I feel like they did capture some activity as much as they can. But you should go there because it'd be a fun, historical, educational entertaining experience but also southern living <laughs> declared saint augustine the south best food town <laughs> so if nothing else if you love southern food go to this place in florida visit their lighthouse get a little creeped out and then go have like some really good food mm, sounds good i know i'm gonna be hungry before we finish this episode grab me some almonds there we go So we'll be back in just a second. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the strange Sal, Mm -hmm. big supporter. 
They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. And we're back. Are we back? I've got a mouthful of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> uh, so I um, I actually got. <laughs> I got ahead of myself this week, and I finished my story on Tuesday, like full on finish. Like, wow! Did the whole. I had it all written out, and I did all the things, put all the notes together, got all my links. So I'm I'm 95% sure I don't remember any of this shit. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Have you ever read the um the Stephen King story Graveyard Shift? Long time ago. It's like an old one, right? Mm-hmm. About like a guy who is working in a factory and his hates his boss and it's got all those kind of like um stock Stephen King characters with their stock names and mm-hmm. they're all m- being men together and <laughs> and then one of them's like a college boy and gets made fun of by the other guys oh. but they're like supposed to clean out this warehouse over a holiday weekend and get like time and a half and they the boss ends up trying to make them go down into this basement area and they're trying to get rid of this rat infestation down there and horrible things happen with rats in the basement. Mm. There are like mutant rats and flying rats and l- rats that look like larvae. Hey, you know what? I f- totally forgot about that. I wonder if Stranger Things kind of took a side note. <gasps> I bet they did. Rats or in the basement. That. Rats mm-hmm. that squish. Nasty rats. Nasty rats. <laughs> that was the thing I did not like about that. I don't like you squishy yeah. rats. They, they weren't squishy. They were gooey. They were gooey. And they gooey moved rats. after they gooed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, and I always think of 1984, too, with like the, you know, the guy's biggest fear was having a cage full of rats put on his face. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So... Lots of people have rat phobias. That's where I'm. That's where I'm going with this. Okay. People are scared of rats, and with good reason. They are, carry plague. Are you afraid of rats? I mean, if they're like chipmunks, then no, I hate them with the passion. <laughs> you would hit them the with a the golf club. Yes. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, by the way, that when I drove into your driveway this morning, there was a chipmunk sitting on your driveway, looking like he fucking owned the entire world. He just like turned around and looked at my car while I drove by, just like watched me drive, didn't run fucking away. Arrogant. He had long ass tail too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, um, so I'm not afraid of rats either. I know it's a big phobia. Like lots of people hate rats, hate mice. Mm-hmm. The number of people I've heard say that mice and rats are slimy cracks me up because. They've clearly never touched a rodent before. Or, yeah, I've seen them. I, well, seriously, I mean, there's slimy rats. I'm like, what? they're not slimy, though. They're just, just furry. Furry and nasty. But I think some of the phobia comes from stories of rats climbing into people's toilets and eating babies and shit. Uh-huh. And they actually do. I found a YouTube video that you'll appreciate I'm going to share with you of a rat and how it can climb through your pipes into oh, your toilet. Shit. So if you're okay. not afraid of them now, you will be after that. Right. Oh, and one of the thing, rats are fucking intelligent. Yes. 
So way so more than mice and any other critter, really, that I, I know of. They, they fucking learn mm-hmm. and they know. Yeah, rats are smart. And um, whether they use their intelligence for good or <laughs> ill, we never know. I grew up, I had pet mice and rats as a kid, so I was never afraid of them. Like, I had a mouse that sat on my shoulder and I could walk around outside and he would just, like, nestle up in my hair and no. hang out. So I always liked them. Now I have a cat and a lot of mouse traps because they ruin all my shit. Right. Like these aren't my pet mice. These are like destructive wood mice who pee on everything. Yeah, they're gross. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to I don't want to keep it. We did actually keep one as pets, but all of our pets die. <laughs> I mean, if our pets go in cages, they die. That's how things work. If it can't like jump out and smack me in the face and say, "Hey, by the way, <laughs> you need to me. give me water." <laughs> yeah, that wet stuff. Mhm. <laughs> So, right. so if stories of rats climbing up into your toilet and living like under your sink and crawling around in alleyways creep you out, we got a story for you. We do. Imagine <laughs> giant rats everywhere. Mm, no. Uh, and then you're in Louisiana. <laughs> oh, swamp rats. Swamp rats. So, like, the regular brown rat that you could get in, you know, in a normal place is like maybe a pound. Like, maybe 10 inches long, a little more if the tail is included. Mm -hmm. Like, city rats, like New York rats, they can get bigger than that. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a a creature in Louisiana called the Nutria. Do you know about the Nutria? Yes, I have. Yes. They can be four feet long and weigh up to 37 pounds. Yeah, they look very much like a... You would think a beaver would they look like? They do look like a beaver. They look, they're look they like a with beaver a with a rat's rat tail. tail. Mm-hmm. That is what they look like a lot. And they their teeth are massive. So I don't know if you've ever seen rats or mice up close, but they do have really long teeth. It looks like their whole mouth is made of incisors. Mm-hmm. These things, they have giant incisors that are bright orange because the enamel in their incisors has iron in it. Oh, damn. So there's these giant rats... With orange. With orange, really freaking long teeth. Mm-hmm. And their teeth are so, so... Rodents have um, large incisors that aren't rooted into their mouths like humans' incisors are. Mm-hmm. So if they don't chew on stuff... This is why rats and mice chew on things all the time. If they don't chew on stuff, their teeth will actually grow up into their brains. Oh, shit. So they have to grind their teeth together all the time. They're always going... That's why. Um, but these guys have, it's like using a, I found a site that said it's like using a grindstone to sharpen a knife though, too. That's why Mm. their teeth are so sharp. Right. And so they're constantly doing that and they create these chisel incisors. Well, imagine like a 40 pound rat trying to bite into things. So they can go through, um, iron pipes. Fuck. They can chew through aluminum, copper. Um, rodent teeth are harder than lead. They're harder than iron. They can gnaw through pedal, metal pipes. The, so the nutria, they have webbed feet on the back like a beaver. Mm-hmm. So like if you picture it, the thing is though, I, it's so funny. I say this as somebody who like looked at rodents a lot as a kid. Right. So I don't know how much this means to anybody else, but I'm like, okay, so rats have kind of a longer muzzle. Like, like pet rats have a mm-hmm. longer muzzle. Like, city rats have kind of a shorter muzzle. Beavers have a fat face. Nutra have a face like a capybara. You know, it's like, it's it's not lovable. It's not, it's just, and it, it's not really like a rat, but it's 
it's like a guinea pig. They look like guinea pigs' faces. They mm. have guinea pigs' faces. Okay. And I hate guinea pigs. So, um, <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. Um, these are not native to the United States. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Right. So, the popular story of how Louisiana got Nutria is that the son of the inventor of Tabasco sauce, whose name was Edward Avery McKillany, and a lot of people in the town called him Monsieur Ned. Mm-hmm. Um, he imported some of these guys from Argentina in the 30s to help the community in Louisiana recover from the Depression because there was fur trade mm. and they were like, OK, we'll bring these in and we'll start breeding them on farms and we'll sell them as fur and there'll be a new a new revenue stream for the the area. Right. And the story is they all escaped during a hurricane in 1940 into the swamps. Oh, shit. Um, like bad sci-fi. Right? I know. <laughs> it is. Giant rats propagating in the swamps. The, um, so, like, in, in Louisiana bayous, like, fur trade was actually a big thing. They would sell um, skunks, raccoons, minks, muskrats. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of muskrats. And, you know, business in the 30s wasn't booming, but they right. did have the trade in place, you know, right. it was already. So it wasn't, it's not a bad idea. No. Um, but it, it, so it takes like a ton of muskrats to make one person's fur coat. They're not very big. Like muskrats are maybe twice the size of rats. So they're like what that makes them like a quarter or a third of the size of, of a Nutra. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only about like four pounds. So the story is Monsieur Ned hears about these Argentinian rats that weigh 20 pounds a piece. Fuck. And he says, let's save the world and bring us giant rats to when shoot in the Louisiana Bayou. Ever a good idea. Mm-hmm. Let's bring these monsters stateside. Mm-hmm. So the story, the actual story is, is like that, not completely that. Mm-hmm. And Tabasco actually went through a lot of work trying to discount some of this story. So Ned did tell people that story all the time. Because he was a douchebag and he wanted a lot of attention and he liked to tell stories at parties. Mm -hmm. So he told everybody he was responsible for the Nutris coming to Louisiana. Mm. Um, His dad did invent Tabasco at an Avery Island, Louisiana site. There's where it was produced. Mm -hmm. Um, Ned was in the fur trade. But so uh, the Journal of the Louisiana Historical Association said that Ned never imported any Nutra to the U.S., um, a writer called Shane Bernard had researched all this stuff. He said in 1930, Armand Daspeet, hmm, director of the Louisiana Department of Conservation's Fur and Wildlife Division, got a bulletin about Nutria from Buenos Aires that said, hey, here's this awesome fur critter that you can, you know, kill. And um, so the guy was fascinated by this. It's basically an ad, right, from Buenos Aires saying, buy these from us and bring them like to your country. Yeah, it's like a sea monkey's <laughs> ad. Come Let's go. You can have a small family. <laughs> they look like cutie dolls. They'll be so cute. <laughs> That's right. Um, so <laughs> Mr. Nutria, go to work in the morning. I know. Mr. I bet Nutria, they were super. Oh, my God. Apron. Can you imagine the ads that they, they had, like, big precious moments eyes, I bet. And they were super. <laughs> Were cute and they were furry and then they all got shot but the <laughs> so this this guy from from uh the fur and it's it's funny that it's the fur and wildlife division maybe i wrote that down wrong i think that's actually what it was now it's fish and wildlife right. <laughs> this was the fur and wildlife division this guy contacted monsieur ned mm-hmm. who was monsieur. known as yeah who was known as an expert on fur bearing animals because he had had a fur you know he had farms right. um and he had let trappers local trappers come and harvest harvest critters off his property for a long time so 
um, the guy wrote to him and said, I would love to introduce Nutra into this country. And, you know, what if we got a couple pairs and put them on the property at the mouth of the Mississippi River? I think they do really well here. So if you want to blame somebody for the Nutra, it's Armand Daspit from Was the he German? Fur and Wildlife. He sounds pretty French. Oh, Armand. Das- Armand. Armand. Okay. He's a vampire, it's, really. It's the Daspit. Das speed. It's well. I'm probably pronouncing it German. <laughs> How do you do that? D a s p i t. Armand Daspit. Daspit. I don't know. Okay. Spit. So okay. So I was gonna say you could blame like the fish and fur division or fur and wildlife division if you want to blame somebody from the Nutra. But it division. it actually turns out a lot of people got this little precious moments ad for Nutra mm-hmm. from Buenos Aires. So there were already two fur farms in Louisiana that had had bought from you know from south america had bought these critters mm-hmm. um and there were private farms and so ned's newts like nutria the ones that he eventually got like eight years after he got this letter were all local bred except for two so they came from louisiana and other places in the united states he didn't actually import them right um and uh, by then, Nutra had been imported to California for fur trading already. Scientists, scientists in Maryland were breeding them at the Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. And the way that I say this, I'm saying this because people want to blame somebody mm-hmm. for Nutra because they are horrible. They're fucking everywhere. They are the mo- one of the most invasive species mm-hmm. that you can get. So like the tone of my voice is like, oh no, they're so uh, they're not furry, you guys. They're well they are. They're super furry, right? Right. But they're menaces. They're giant fucking monster rats. They they are bad. Bad yes. bad. So um so anyway, uh the population, this is and I'll explain why they're so bad here. The population of Nutria started to explode shortly after they got to the United States. So Ned, along with other Louisiana breeders, they would set them loose in the swamps. They would farm them, and I I'll put a picture up when we do our pictures for the episode and everything like that. I have black and white pictures of his Nutra farm that has these big, mm-hmm. you know, cages around. But you had to super secure these little fuckers in there because they're escape artists, because they'll well, shoot through, through any everything. fucking thing right and um so you know they were just like i think partly because the population exploded so fast and partly because they were so hard to keep contained anyways like they would have had to keep on buying more and more and more land to keep this mm-hmm. going so they were just like ah, you know what we'll let some local people you know wild shoot them and we'll encourage the fur trade from you know the bayou folk all right, and we'll look like heroes. We'll improve the economy. Yeah, and that's that we will look like heroes. We're going to save the economy from the Depression. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> um, biologically, <laughs> Nutria are built to become our rodent overlords um, and repopulate the entire planet and destroy the human race. Yes. That's what Nutria do. So they can breed at four months old. They um, can give birth to litters up to 12 and can breed again in 48 hours. Holy shit. So they, there were about 20 Nutra imported into Louisiana in the thirties. Um, by the late seventies, there were more than 25 million just in the state of Louisiana. I do not doubt it. They, um, are super multitaskers. So mamas have their nipples on the backs of their bodies instead of the front so that they can just keep on swimming around and eating while they're nursing their babies. Holy fuck. They never have to stop. Um, and it's not even necessary because the babies can eat vegetation within hours of their birth. They're completely vegetarian. 
roots, grasses, all they consume. They probably should be very thankful for that. Well, they consume 25% of their body weight every day. They don't hibernate, so they feed year-round. And the biggest problem is, because of all this, they have destroyed the entire coastal landscape of every area that they're in because they eat all the vegetation off of the coastal marshes, and they stop... The erosion just goes insane because there's no roots to keep the land in place. They burrow and they take all the roots out of the soil. So they they destroy the coastal landscape. And the wetlands are what reduce storm damage when hurricanes come in. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about like all of the storm damage and how much worse it's gotten and how much worse the flooding is, part of that, and it's not like all their fault by right. any means, but part of that is because there's no more buffer because the Nutra have fucking eaten the entire wetlands coastal area of Louisiana. Holy shit. Um, and they also, you know how, so uh, if you're not that familiar with Louisiana, they're like canals through, you know, through the coastal areas. There are canals in Louisiana and other places. These guys, they live along the canal banks and they dig these burrows that are like honeycomb burrows that they dig underneath the canals. And the canals are collapsing on themselves and they serve a purpose too. The canals are there for a reason, like a functional reason. And they're collapsing the canals because they dig these burrows underneath and everything just implodes eventually because they're, they're creating like a beehive of, of, you know, holes underneath everything. So, you know, in the, in the thirties, forties, fifties, you're thinking, okay, well, at least, at least maybe they provided some economic incentive, you know, people were hunting them. There was some population control, um, enter the 1980s when it was, awesome to throw red paint on people who wore fur Mm -hmm. and the entire like fur industry got destroyed Mm -hmm. because of activists um and the population of nutra at this point balloon even faster because nobody can get money for these little fuckers Mm -hmm. so they're not going to bother shooting them Mm -hmm. and um so all the people who were working and trapping in louisiana moved to the oil fields to work And, you know, now there aren't that many fur traders there because on top of the low demand, the Nutra ate all the muskrat food. So the muskrats have all died out. Um, And so Nutra is like the only thing that you can hunt. So um, and that's that's an overstatement. But they have really damaged the other local populations of critters. Right. Um, And I got I got a lot of this like this information. I'll I'll post links. There are a whole bunch of articles on it, as you can imagine. But there's a a documentary that came out called Rodents of Unusual Size. Oh, shit. (laughs) And um, it's a great documentary. And it's it's really cool to watch. I mean, it interviews local people about it follows like a um, a guy who hunts Nutra during the seasons when he can't shrimp or fish. So he, like in the winter seasons, he goes for, so he just kind of changes what he goes for depending on the season. Like a lot of people probably still do, Mm -hmm. but it talks about, you know, how Katrina affected the area and how the critters have affected the area. It talked to an animal control officer who has had to pull Nutra out of people's toilets. Holy shit. Um, so not even kidding. Like they are everywhere. And in 2002, Louisiana put out a bounty for them because the fur trade wasn't incentivizing people to hunt them. Right. So they, the, the state will pay you $5 a tail. Really? What could PETA say against something so evasive? Mm-hmm. I mean, really? What, what, what could, I mean, I, I, I am an animal person and I'm all for that, but something that is so evasive and destructive. It's very destructive. Right. There's actually a fur um, a fashion 
collective, I think is what it is, that they talk about in this documentary, I think it's called Righteous Fur, mm-hmm. that they only use furs from invasive species to create their work and then they they sell that. So right. if you want to wear Nutra, you know, you're helping the environment by buying this is one of those things. So they're trying to kind of overcome that stigma too. Right. Because the stigma's still there, really. Oh, yeah. But, you know, honestly, I started thinking about it, and I think they must have said something. I don't think I would have thought of this myself, so they must have said something in a documentary. But, um, you know, when it, all the synthetic fur and stuff that people... But, you know, because it's not like people don't still wear things that look like fur. Right. The, the amount of plastic that you're creating... It is so... Yeah, horrible. It's, I mean, that's... It's worse. That's probably worse. Yeah. So, because at the end of the day, fur is going <clears throat> to disintegrate mm-hmm. and it will go back to dust. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm saying this as a vegetarian and sometime vegan and, right. you know, animal lover and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very person. much, well, and it's very much like the, I don't know, pay attention, pay attention to the ecology, you know, I right. mean, like don't, don't just say yay or nay, pay attention to what you're doing. Right. If, if buying grass fed beef helps your economy and, you know, then buy grass-fed beef. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not one of those stolid, like, you can never do X or Y right. and be right. Right. But, yeah, this is one of those things. I just, uh, I don't know. I, yeah. uh, so anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, so there are people who are trying to make Nutrafur, like, chic and, right. and trendy. And it used to be, I mean, they would sell it, uh, you know, in... I guess it was like the 40s and 50s, 60s, like when when fur was really, mm-hmm. they would sell it as kind of the poor man's alternative to the mink, right. you know, to the to the you know fancy right. ass coat, and they would advertise it as Nutrifur, you mm-hmm. know, Nutria. So anyway, that the um since nobody is, since few people are buying furs, the the government has put a five dollar bounty on a tail, and um. That it to kind of mimic what people would make if they could sell the pelt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny. Uh, the government has tried campaigns to get people to eat them because when the bounty started, people would tail these little guys after they shot them and just toss the carcasses in big piles in the swamp, which is not great. It's also wasteful. Um, Alligator population probably appreciated it. I'm sure. I'm sure it did. I mean, mm-hmm. but the, you know, they probably like. That's probably like fried chicken. I mean, like they could probably get that around every corner because the things are fucking everywhere. They can't all be that fast. Right. But um, yeah, so the government has been trying to get people to use the carcass, the meat and the pelt a little bit more often. Because like I said, there are a couple people who will still buy the pelt. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there's a website called Can't Beat Them, Eat Them. Getting rid of invasive species one bite at a time. Oh, damn. Which I appreciate a lot. They say, they say, and you know, if you're in the fan group and as we record this, so I guess this will be last Friday or whatever, by the time you hear this, this morning, if you're in the fan group, you would have seen, I posted this thing about the snakehead fish in Georgia. That's Mm -hmm. one of the invasive species they have recipes for on on this website. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would eat anything like a snakehead fish. I don't know. That just sounds, there's something. And here's, okay, and okay. we are an example of the problem here because the government's been trying to get people to eat Nutra. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you went to New York and said to somebody, eat that rat. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Would you want to? Well, they've been trying to get people to eat bugs, too. <clears throat> but how many people are doing it? Right. And that's the thing, is they've had a really hard time getting people, because they're trying everything they can to get an industry built up that will destroy these creatures right. and help make somebody some money out of it. Right. And, like, they, you know, y- you can't get people to eat a nutrient. Apparently, it tastes like it's a lean meat. Mm-hmm. And they say it's a clean meat. I mean, it's a it's a vegetarian. It's a root oh, eater. Right. So it's like eating a rabbit. Unless he ate, like, some metal somewhere along the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it, um, yeah, apparently it tastes like rabbit, which I've never had. I've, I've never, never eaten rabbit. Yeah. I, I used to have pet rabbits. It's a problem. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had rabbits too. And one of them sliced my finger open and I fucking hated it. With your, that. with its teeth? No, with its claw. With its Man, people underestimate they, the fucking nails on those little guys. Definitely tear you up. Um, yeah, they don't fight with their teeth nearly as much as they fight with their claws. No, they, they, they will like get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I totally hardcore. wanted to eat him. <laughs> so you fucker. Maybe you should head on down to Louisiana. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, yeah, they've had a hard time getting people to eat them. There's somebody that started making, um, dog treats out of Nutra, um, well, and selling those. So they're called Marsh Dog Treats, um, so all these efforts together have gotten the Nutra down to several million from 25 million in the 70s. Oh, that's good. In Louisiana. But they, um they've spread, man, cuz I see them all the time. Climate change has made the entire country suitable territory for the Nutria. So they're all over California. Like I said, they were originally imported into California also. Mm-hmm. They're all the way through the southern coast, they're all the way up the east coast. Um Maryland Oregon, Washington, Texas, there are like a lot of these states are having like statewide issues Mm -hmm. with these creatures. So there are a couple people that try and keep them as pets, but they require a lot of energy and they like they bond with one person and they hate everyone else and they're very aggressive. Oh, damn. So you can't it's not a very you have to constantly give them something to chew on. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they're also, they're territorial. They, you know, yeah. their teeth are no joke. So, I mean, it's not like having a Even mouse or a snuggle, hamster where, you yeah. know, if you get bit, it's not going to be a big deal. You take out an artery. Seriously. Yeah. So there were, there were just a couple extra things. Like, um, I found an article from 2009 where a woman in, <clears throat> in Abbeville, Louisiana, sued a Walmart for injuries she incurred when a large wild nutria ran out from behind a rack of Coca-Cola products, causing her to run over her own foot with a shopping cart. (laughs) God. Um, And then there was a really kind of, you know, because there, because people do articles like this little thing Mm -hmm. that I've just done, you know, and nutria are the worst thing in the world. In a lot of places right now. So they're constant, like, we hate these. These are going to kill the everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So this guy put together this parody article. And one of the quotes in it was, according to a Louisiana expert, Nutris have been known to attack whole Girl Scout troops at a time. <laughs> the expert found at a local gas and sip outside Baton Rouge and identified simply as Earl <laughs> says Nutra will often sneak into homes, steal kitchen knives and slit the homeowner's throats as they sleep. Oh shit. Earl went on to say that the Nutra epidemic is a government plot to enslave Americans and water down our beer. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people are talking about it to the point where folks are getting like bored enough to write articles like that. Oh my gosh. But it really is kind of an ecological disaster that they're creating. Oh, yeah. So yeah. We've had dogs that have killed them before. Really? In yeah. Mississippi? Yeah. In Mississippi. Yeah. Like, well, where I'm from in Columbus, it's kind of a swamp area. There's mm-hmm. a lot of 
water around. So we would see them all the time. Um, and we had like beavers as well, but we would see them and the dogs would kill them. And then since moving to Alabama, um, I've, yeah, I've seen one just bold as day cross the road right no in front shit, of my car. Really? Yeah. Right over there by the Baptist church. Oh my God. Yeah. I, actually, I've seen two or three of them over there by the Baptist church. Oh God. Yeah. So no. Baptist church may have, have a problem. <laughs> shit. Um, I haven't seen them over here in the neighborhoods, but yeah, they're, I mean, they they're are here. everywhere. So yeah. if you are, if you are listening to this podcast from anywhere in the country, except for the landlocked box states, yes, chances are you've seen one at some point. But anyway, that's the story of the giant rat that's going to wow. invade your toilet. Damn. Now, now, things coming up from the toilet are pretty horrifying. <laughs> and I have a story about that. So if you are a Patreon then just, you know, wait for me patiently to post your Patreon stuff <laughs> because I am very behind right now. But it will come up. Um, I do have a story about that, and I'll save it for the Patreon. And we will quickly thank our Patreon yes. patrons. Thank you, patrons. If you want to join it, $3 a month, hop on patreon.com slash the strange health podcast or some shit like that. Right. It's on the recording. It's on the, yeah, you can find it on the website things we love you <laughs> yay <laughs> well thank y'all for listening we appreciate you so much you just don't even know yep bye bye follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and check out our website thestrangesouth.com all our social media links are there and for extra fun and goodies join our facebook fan group fans of the strange south podcast and if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind the scenes photos and videos please consider joining our patreon 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 at www.patreon.com slash south. The nocturnal nutrient. Doris was a nutrient who could not get to sleep playing on the lawn all night long at number three Cypress Tree. Doris thought he was way too big to stay on his own front lawn. He swam in the dark to West End tunneled into a restaurant Mama and Daddy sat Norris down with his pals on the neutral ground. Hey, it's Christmas time if you're not gonna sweat it Laying wide awake in the nest ain't gonna get it. Every kid who grows, Santa knows every time they sleep and eat If you can't find sheep, you better count jeeps or try warm milk with Nutria Sweet, they said Norris you're a nocturnal nutrient, Norris. Don't know what we're gonna do with you, Norris. Better think about your future, you and all your pals. Out in the canal, swimming after dark at Western Park. We don't know where you're going, we don't know where you've been. But Santa don't come till you really tucked in. Norris at bedtime, Christmas Eve. Made a stretch, did some yarns. Set the alarm, put his jammies on Brushed his teeth till they were nice and orange Norris wrote a Santa note He wants a watch, a soccer ball A jet ski boat, 
so he can float in reverse and drive in neutral. Poor little Norris got a pee nocturnal, sitting up in bed with the ladies' home journal. Tried CNN, elevator FM. That's when he thought he heard Santa come in. It was just a frog on the living room log. Santa stopped to take his pill, for he had to tromp through the whole wide swamp. Santa fell asleep at the bar and grill. Norris, you're a nocturnal nutrient, Norris. Don't know what we're gonna do with you, Norris. Better think about your future, you and all your pals. Out in the canals, swimming at the dock at West End Park. We don't know where you're going, we don't know where you've been. But Santa don't come till you're really tucked in. Now it's light of day, check out Santa's sleigh. It's full of things from the parking lot. And Mrs. Claus don't like no bars. But Santa knew he had to make one more stop. So now it's morning. Norris is snoring. Santa looked at his laptop screen. Norris didn't pout. He kind of watched out. Guess I'll go ahead and leave him everything. He said, Norris, you're a nocturnal nutrient, Norris. Don't know what we're gonna do with you, Norris. This is what I got for you, a nighttime pass to the snowball stand. An underwater watch with an alligator band. Not your soccer ball, no jet ski yet. But here's a little neutral-sized bulletproof vest. Norris, you're a nocturnal nutrient, Norris. Don't know what we're gonna do with you, Norris. Better think about your future of you and all your pals. Out in the canal, swimming after dark at West End Park. Don't come till you're really tucked in.